Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. You know, folks, I'm really hoping this doesn't happen. This is one of those shows today where we're going to talk about something, but I, honest to God, I hope I'm wrong. I pray I'm wrong. And it's the election 2020 nightmare scenario. I'm going to give you an example that uh, Joe knows in the real world of something that happened in Maryland and what I think the Democrats are setting us up for now with this upcoming presidential election. It has me a little a uh, little anxious. I'm just going to be candid and I hope I'm wrong. Don't miss the show. I got that. It's by Gate Update. Uh, today's show brought to you by our friends at ExpressVPN. My savvy listeners get a VPN and they secure their internet using it. Go to expressvpn.com slash Bongino today. Welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. Producer Joe, how are you today? I'm doing good. I didn't have myself turned up. All kinds of stuff happening back here today. <laughs> yeah, okay. There was a little delay on that. Yes. I was like, is Joe okay? Joe's fine. We're going to have to send the ambulance. Joe knows the election I'm talking mm-hmm. about, so we'll get to that. Not to, But um, yeah, I'm telling you, they're setting us up for a nightmare. I'm yeah. very worried about it. All right, let's get right to it. I got a loaded show today. Today's show brought to you by our friends at Bambi. Listen, when running a business, HR issues can kill your business. Wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, and HR manager salaries, they are not cheap. They average $70,000 a year. Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, was created specifically for your small business. You can get a dedicated HR manager, craft your HR policy, and maintain your compliance all for what? Just $99 a month. You're like, that's too good to be true. It is not. It is not. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. From onboarding, the terminations, they customize your, po- customize your policies to fit your business and help you manage your employees day-to-day, all for just $99 a month. Month-to-month, no hidden fees, cancel anytime. You didn't start your business because you wanted to spend time on HR compliance, let's be honest. Let Bambi help. Get your free HR audit today. Go to Bambi.com slash Dan right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash Dan, spelled B-A-M to the B-E-E dot com slash Dan. Go today. All right, Joe, let's go. There we go, A little quicker on the there trigger finger go. than he was during the intro. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> Joe's, uh, I, I'm messing with Joe. Of course, of course you, know, you are. <laughs> All right, so Joe is intimately familiar with the election I'm going to talk about in a minute, but... Um, Here's what they're doing right now, ladies and gentlemen. Again, I hope I'm wrong. I think we are looking at an election 2020 election night, uh, potential nightmare here. If it is a close election, that's if it's close, which all indications seem to appear that this will be close between President Trump, obviously, and former Vice President Biden. What do I mean by that? The Democrats are pushing right now because of the uh, coronavirus. They are pushing for mass mail-in balloting. As we know from mail-in balloting, as I've covered on this show before, President Trump is not wrong. He is absolutely spot-on correct that mail mass mail-in balloting. I vote by mail. I don't have an objection to voting by mail. To be clear what my position is, I do have an objection to voting by mail if you don't have a legitimate reason, which I think is the same position of the Trump scenario. Uh, of the Trump campaign. Nobody should be sent a ballot in the mail if they did not, in fact, request one because they have a reason. Are we all clear on that? Because the distinctions are always blurred by the left as they try and make us out to be the hypocrites they actually are. If you have a reason to vote by mail, military, you can't get to the ballot, uh, you're sick, your uh, daycare issues, whatever it may be, and you request a ballot by mail that is sent to your house and they can authenticate you by mail, I have no issue with that at all. I do it. Not all the time, but I do it when sometimes when we vote. 
I have no problem with that. Ballots being sent to registered voters via mail who didn't request them is a horrible idea. The Democrats would love that. Those ballots are votes hanging out there in the ether that there's really very little means to authenticate them whatsoever. The potential for fraud is absurd. It's outrageous. It's off the charts. Don't take my word for it or President Trump's word for it, who's equally concerned about mail-in fraud. Just take the New York Times, an article we've now cited three times. This is a 2012 article in the New York Times by Adam Liptak. The New York Times. This isn't Bongino.com. Actually, it would be, be more reputable if it was at Bongino.com. But this is them talking about the dangers of mail-in uh, voting. New York Times, 2012. Error and fraud at issue as absentee voting rises. Adam Liptak from inside the piece. Now, again, don't take it from me. Take it from the New York Times themselves, the issue they have with mail-in voting. Vote, votes cast by mail are less likely to be counted, more likely to be compromised, and more likely to be contested, 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 pay attention to that, than those cast in a voting booth statistics show. This is the New York Times. Election officials reject almost 2% of ballots cast by mail, double the rate for in-person voting. Not me, the New York Times. The more people you force to vote by mail, Mr. Sancho said, who they're quoting in the piece, the more invalid ballots you will generate. Okay. Election experts say the challenges created by mail-in ballots could well affect outcomes this fall and beyond. Remember, this is from 2012. If the contests next month are close enough to be within what election lawyers call the margin of litigation, litigation, the grounds on which they will be fought will not be hanging chads, but ballots cast away from the voting booth. Ladies and gentlemen, the two key takeaways from that New York Times article and why I am seriously anxious about what's going to happen in 2020 are contested ballots, more likely to be contested via mail, meaning someone says that doesn't look right. That's not the signature. That's not even the description of the voter. That wasn't sealed right. That wasn't signed correctly. They're more likely to be contested and litigation is likely to result. Litigation for the liberals listening, you know, the legal process. Now, what does this have to do with 2020? Again, ladies and gentlemen, the Democrats are pushing for mass mail-in voting when we already know because the statistics are crystal clear that fraud is rampant more so than in-person voting. And secondly, ballots are likely to be contested and sent through a long arduous legal process. Wait, long, arduous legal process. I thought the election was going to be decided on election night. Yeah, I thought that too. Shame on me. Now, in case you think, again, I, I'm, by the way, I am citing left-wing rag resources for this, not because I think they're credible, the New York Times and the Washington Post, but simply because ideas I believe are credible that mail-in voting leads to increased fraud. They have already cited in their article, so they can't get away from it anymore when it was probably of political advantage to them. Why they were writing that article back then, who knows? Maybe absentee ballots were favoring Republicans. There's always an agenda with the Times and others. Here's another left-wing rig, the Washington Post, talking about late-night counting of ballots on election night 2020 coming right up, only, what, 130-something days away? Barring a landslide, what's probably not coming on November 3rd, Election Day, a result in the race for the White House, Washington Post, by Amy Gardner. 
Folks, the Democrats are not stupid. They know exactly what they're doing. Now, as I opened up the show, I said I was going to tie this to an experience that was had in Maryland by many who live there, including Joe. I was not there at the time of this election. But this is the Democrats' plan. You ready? You ready? The Democrats' plan is election night chaos, litigation, contested ballots, mail fraud, voter fraud, whatever fraud you need to get, contest it long enough in the legal process, and then push for a, we've had enough, it's time to move on. Joe Biden won. Mm -hmm. Who said? Well, we said it's time to move on. That wouldn't happen. It did happen in Maryland. Joe remembers it well. Me having run for office in Maryland. This is a horror story. Joe, if I get anything wrong in this Ah. story, please correct me. But there was a a wonderful woman who I adore to this day by the name of Ellen Sauerbring. She ran for governor in Maryland. She won that race. She was a Republican, by the way, an important point. Mm -hmm. She won. She what was it against Glenn Denning? I forget who the I think it was Glenn Denning. It was Glenn Denning. I don't even know. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was Glenn Denning. So she's running against Glenn Denning, who's a Democrat. Ellen Sowerbury in an election night upset, there's no question she wins this race. None. She wins, but then all of a sudden in Baltimore City, votes start coming in. There's allegations of voter fraud tampering. And next thing you know, a seemingly insurmountable lead by uh, Ms. Sowerbury, the Republican, turns into a lead for Glenn Denning, the Democrat. Now, at a minimum, I listen, to this day, I believe she won that race handily, by the way. There were all kinds of stories and anecdotes about fraud coming out of Baltimore City, fraudulent ballots, and Ellen Sowerbray fought it. What did the media? Of course, the media, they they don't mind chaos. They don't mind the chaos at all. Only after about, what is it, about a week or so into, it wasn't even Mm -hmm. that long, Joe, a week or two, all of a sudden it started getting out there. It's time to move on. It's time to move on. Oh, it is? Okay, so you're willing to concede that Ellen Sauerbrey won. No, no, no. They started calling her, the media people, sour grapes. Right. She won. She. I'm not getting this wrong. She won this race. I'm telling you she won this race. The fraud was rampant. And because she dared to complain about the fraud, the media piled on the Republican, not the Democrat, despite evidence everywhere she won, and said, it's time to move on. Ladies and gentlemen, Listen, mark this show date, Tuesday, June 23rd. Mark it if it happens. I pray I'm wrong. But this will be a contested election. I think it will be close. If it's close, if it's not close in either direction, it's not going to matter because of the Electoral College, mm-hmm. of course. we don't. It's not a popular vote election. But if you have electoral chaos in three or four swing states, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, whatever it may be, And this race hangs up in the air. You are going to see lawsuits out the wazoo. Nobody knows where the wazoo is, but the wazoo exists because everybody talks about a wazoo all the time. You are going to see lawsuits out of the fictional wazoo. And I'm telling you, the media is going to pile on with Trump's a sore loser. But he didn't lose. We don't have any evidence he lost. He's a sore loser. Mm -hmm. It's time to move on. Sore loser. Sour grapes. That's what they called Ellen Sowerbury. Sour grapes. She won that election. Of course, she didn't win because Paris Glendening took the governorship of Maryland, despite the fact that the evidence of fraud was everywhere. The media then destroyed her reputation or tried to. Tried to, to. yeah. Wonderful, tried to. Wonderful human being, by the way, to this day. A woman I, I really adore. It's the let's move on strategy. Get ready for it right now.
I'm telling you, it's going to happen if this is close. Time to move on. Totally sour grapes by Trump. You know, someone else ran in an election like that, too. And knowing what they were about to do to my reputation, we conceded. Even though to this day, I probably haven't said this on my show, but I'll say it now. I'm convinced we won that election. I'm not not personal against John Delaney. I ran for Congress in the Maryland 6th Congressional District. You know, we won that race on election day by something like 2,300 votes on the election day balloting. We somehow lost that election. It's interesting that we lost that election by one percentage point. By, I think it was what, a little over 1,000 votes or something like that? And yet, five-digit number of, a five-digit number of people in Frederick City, a Democratic enclave, voted in an election who had said on their jury duty forms earlier that they weren't citizens. Knowing the savagery that was about to begin of my reputation if we dared to fight this thing, we moved on thinking we could fight again at a later date. That may have been a mistake even to this day. I'm not sure. Get ready for it. Just one more quick article be in the show notes today. Uh, Matt Palumbo. Here's another one, Joe. Innocent mistake. Don't worry about it, of course. Uh, Bongino.com. I'll have this one up in the show notes. Uh, Bongino.com slash newsletter if you want to subscribe to my show notes. So in New Jersey, hundreds of New Jersey Republicans receive misprinted ballots listing only Democrat oh. candidates. Matt Palumbo. Bongino.com. Don't worry, Joe. It's just an Joe, mistake. The printing company screwed up. You know, Don't worry. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, Dano. It, it never, mistakes never seem to work the other way. I'm, I'm sure Democrats, uh, uh, Dem- registered Democrats didn't get Republican ballots. But again, you know, if we complain, we're all conspiracy. You're all conspiracy theorists. Okay, sure. Uh, folks, the Joe had to clean up some of this video pretty bad. The, let's move on. The attack in D.C. last night. Again, we had rioters, rioters, vandals, and criminals in D.C. No, they were protesters. Okay, uh, protesters don't destroy public property, ladies and gentlemen. Sorry if you believe that. Uh, wrong show. Go find yourself, uh, yourself a true serum somewhere uh, because you need it. You're clearly immune to facts. We had some uh, vandals and criminals get together in D.C. last night, decide it was going to be a good idea to destroy public statues and property again. Uh, thankfully, they were stopped. The president's not having any of that around the White House. It happened on the North Grounds, Lafayette Park, across the street, where there's a statue of Andrew Jackson, which the left tried to pull down. Uh, as I told you yesterday, ladies and gentlemen, this is no longer about statues. This is about power and intimidation. This is about violence. This is about power. This is, ladies and gentlemen, they need to subjugate you, the left. They need to shut you up. They'll use their tech tyrant allies to do it. And this is about the pure takeover of, of, of power and using power to silence you and shut you down. There are two ways to do it, as I said yesterday. You can take power yourself or you can intimidate those in power. Intimidation is a tool that is the coin of the realm, as I said last night on Hannity. They want to intimidate you, corporate America, pressure your kids in their schools. This is what they do. Look at this in the Washington Times. This lunatic, Sean King, uh, known to be a big uh, hoaxer. Sean King, Washington Times story, be in the show notes today. He now, they're moving on. Remember, this was about statues, supposedly, the Confederacy. And it started as a, it allegedly started as, we got to get rid of those Confederate statues. Sean King. Uh, big hoaxer out there, you know, far left radical uh, nut job. Sean King says Jesus images, a form of white supremacy that must go. They should all come down. Douglas Ernst, Washington Times. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no limiting factor to this 
psychopathological behavior. It is nihilistic in nature. It is girded towards destruction. And their sole purpose is to intimidate you through power and to gain power over public officials or take power themselves. There's no other explanation for this. Why you would tear down a statue of abolitionists like Matthias Baldwin, Gandhi, and Jesus iconography and statues, why you would want that torn down, again, speaks to a psychological illness on your behalf or a willingness to destroy the system as it is and to take power over others. Now, showing you how insane this movement has got, they're trying has, 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 uh, gotten, they're trying to establish a autonomous zone like they have in the in Chazistan and Chapistan in Seattle. You know, Chop Chopalvania, whatever it's called. They're trying to establish one of those in front of the White House, and they want to call it Joe the the B has the um, Black House autonomous zone. Not making this is not a joke. I am not messing with you. They want to be. If you went to business school, you know what a B hag is, right? <laughs> Big hairy audacious goal. Not a joke either. In business school, they use that term a lot, a BHAG. Big, hairy, audacious skulls. The big, hairy, audacious skull of, of the radical leftist statue-tearing statue down vandals is to establish a BHAG. The BHAG is the BHAG. The Black House Autonomous Zone in front of the White House. President Trump was having none of it. So, of course, the vandals and criminals lost their minds. Now, this is where the movement uh, totally, completely goes off the rails. Completely, I don't even call this a movement. They're vandals. These people are criminals. A lot of them. This is not legitimate protest trying to destroy public property and attack people. So this was supposed to be about black lives, right? That's how the black lives matter. That's how this started. This is a fascinating clip, which Joe had to edit. I can only use 10 seconds because the language is so vulgar. Here is a white dude with tattoos. Again, the racial thing doesn't matter, but this is supposed to be like, doesn't matter to us, but this is a black lives matter movement, right? So here's a white dude protester in the video, the guy with the tattoos, if you want to watch youtube.com slash Bongino. He's in the face of a black police officer and Joe had to beep out what he says, but we'll come back on the other side. But again, white protester who supposedly believes black lives matter in the face of a black police officer, for those of you listening on radio. And even through the bleeps, try to discern what this complete lunatic maniac says. Check this out. Now, because this is a family-friendly show and we exist on terrestrial radio as well, where there are language standards, the white protester, who, again, he's supposed to believe Black Lives Matter. He's by, by the way, he's foaming. If you look at the clip, go to YouTube.com slash Bongino. He's actually foaming from his facial hair. It's quite gross. Mm. There's like a, it's disgusting. Um, the guy probably hasn't showered in a few weeks, but he's in the face of a black police officer just doing his job. And he tells one of the officers, tell this B-A-N-word. Rhymes with switch class N word. Tell that. So just to be clear to Black Lives Matter out there, this is this is your dude here. This is one of your guys. This is a, a, a he's a protester, but peaceful in the face, you know, foaming at the mouth. A white guy in the face of a black police officer calling him a. Switch class, you get the rest. It's about Confederate statues. Come on. 
Black lives matter, right? They matter. Not his. Not the police officer's black life. That's probably a dad. I don't know the man. Never met him in my life. It's probably a dad. Probably got kids as you're foaming and spitting in his face in the middle of uh, the Wuhan virus outbreak. But yeah, don't worry. Black lives matter, right? Just not his. All right. What do we got next? All right. I want to get to this Spygate thing I covered yesterday because it's detailed, it's layered, and it's ugly. And basically, the takeaway again is you paid for the Trump campaign to be spied on, which should hit you like a gut punch. But, you know, sadly, won't hit the liberals because they don't care because they love the police state and they'll use their tax dollars to spy on their political opponents anytime. All right, today's show also brought to you by friends at Brickhouse Nutrition. I have two of their products here today. My personal favorite, Foundation. You know I love Foundation. I've only been bragging about this product for the last, what, I don't know, four or five years. Go to BrickhouseNutrition.com slash Dan. Use promo code Dan. Uh, get 15% off today. Check it out. BrickhouseNutrition.com. What is Foundation? It's a creatine ATP blend. Listen, creatine's been around a long time, right? We know that. What's special about this? They blended it with ATP. Adenosine triphosphate. Listen, we don't need to get into the mechanics of it. All I can tell you is this. What does foundation do? That's me shaking my bottle there. Foundation makes you look better, feel better, perform better in the gym. I have been using it now for, I don't know, five years. They are my first sponsor. I love them. I gave a bottle of this to my nephew. He drove up from Fort Lauderdale a couple of years ago to get another one. That's how much he loved it. You will perform better in the gym. Don't believe me? Go to the gym. Take this stuff for about five days. Take down a little a log in your in your workout notebook, how many reps you did, whatever. Push-ups, zercher, squats, rows, whatever it may be. And then come back five days later. You're going to be like, damn. Then take the mirror test. Look in the mirror. Look in the mirror seven days later. I guarantee you're going to look better. This stuff is the real McCoy. Is it not, Paula? Thank you. She also loves Field of Greens, which is their... Uh, this is their vegetable and fruit supplement. This is a food supplement. It's not extract. This is real ground up healthy fruits and vegetables. Go today, BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. Use promo code Dan. Pick up foundation. Look better. Feel better. Perform better. It's the trifecta. Check it out. BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. Okay. So let me get to the Spygate thing, which I teased yesterday. And I'm going to motor through this because I've got some other stuff to get to as well, including some dangerous uh, propaganda from NPR, which you're paying for too. You're not only paying to have the Trump team's totally unintentional segue, by the way, pre-segue. You're paying for NPR, liberal left-wing activists at NPR, national public radio to gaslight you and lie to you and to call you a white supremacist, basically. Uh, You're also paying for the Trump team to be spied on. So the great Margot Cleveland... We were DMing last night. She's like, ah, it's really nice of you to call me great. She is great. She's terrific. We love you, Margot Cleveland. Your pieces are fantastic. She has this piece up at the Federalist. It's up in yesterday's show notes. We're going to go through this today. What's inside Grassley's letter demanding more about the deep, uh, deep state's role in Spygate? Ladies and gentlemen, the takeaway from this is stunning. Remember, this guy, Stefan Halper, this spy, spied on the Trump team. He tried to interact with George Papadopoulos. Hey, George, what do you know about the Russians? <laughs> tried to interact with Carter Page. Now. What was devastating is that this guy was an informant for the FBI. What's even more devastating is this guy had contracts, as we can see from the first screenshot, had contracts with the Pentagon's Office of Net Assessment, known as ONA. Halper was also receiving hundreds of thousands of dollars from ONA, including two contracts that spanned the same time period as Crossfire Hurricane, the investigation of Donald Trump. Oh, really? Oh, really? Fascinating. 
So Stefan Halper is being paid by the federal government, the Pentagon, to go and spy on the Trump team. And the contracts overlap the same time the FBI is spying on the Trump team. We got to that yesterday, so let me motor ahead quick because this gets even more interesting. There's some beauteous takeaways from this piece. That's like beautiful and gorgeous beauty. So here's takeaway number two. You like that? Yeah, I didn't make that up. That was uh, someone in my family said all the time. So my grandmother. Of interest was Baker's response to Grasley's questions about Halper's relationship with Vyacheslav Trebnikov, a name you know on this show well a known Russian intelligence officer. So Halper, who's spying on the Trump team at the behest of the FBI, and is also being paid by our Pentagon vis-a-vis your tax dollars, he listed a Russian intelligence officer, Trebnikov, as a possible reference for one of the ONA contracts? So Senator Grassley wanted to know a little more about this. And he said to this guy, James Baker, who was running portions of the ONA, said, hey, James, uh, tell me if you're following me here, Joe. So well, let me just be clear. We got a guy spying on the Trump team, trying to interact with the Trump team at the behest of the FBI. Hey, fellas, what do you know about Russia? <laughs> it was also being paid by the Pentagon. And what's really weird is Senator Grassley, pretty good Republican, who's always on top of these federal law enforcement issues for decades, says, hey, uh, ONA guy, James Baker, who's paying Halper, can you tell us a little more about those contracts? Because they seem to be running concurrently with the FBI's investigation, which would mean that the Pentagon was paying a spy to spy on the Trump team, right? Weird. Strange how that goes, right? Yeah. Also, we have one more angle on this that Chuck Grassley finds interesting that I do, too. He says, hey, listen, this is kind of weird, too, that the spy, Halper, is claiming that one of his contacts is a Russian, the former head of the Russian SVR, one of their intelligence outfits. Really? That's really strange. I thought you said Trump was colluding with the Russians. So the guy who's claiming Trump's colluding with the Russians and contributing to a dossier that's claiming that, and Trump team members are colluding with the Russians, the guy who's claiming that is colluding with a Russian? Nose itching today, sorry. You understand what I'm getting? Yes. It's very simple. Yes. Guy paid by taxpayers to spy on a Trump team is citing one of his sources for information. (laughs) It's a Russian intelligence officer. Now, what's even more fascinating is Christopher Steele. We've always wanted, by the way, I cover this in my next book extensively. This whole relationship between Halper and Steele and how I think the FBI did this through their handlers. There's a whole chapter on this going to blow your mind. Follow the Money is my book. Please pick it up today on pre-order. Available Barnes & Noble, uh, anywhere you buy your books online. Check it out today. Follow the Money. There it is. By me, Dan Bongino, coming out. There's a whole chapter on this that I promise you have not heard before. How the FBI hid the connections between Steele and Halper. Now, why would that be important? Follow me for a moment. And how does Trebnikov fit in here? Folks, all of us. We've all had a hard time, all of the Spygate researchers out there, we've had a hard time connecting Halper to Christopher Steele. Steele writes the dossier, right? Called the Steele dossier, the PP tape stuff, the collusion stuff. It's important because Steele was the face of the dossier for one reason, because Steele had worked the Russia desk for British Intel. So he was credible, air quotes. They needed his face on the dossier. I have told you from the start, I don't think Steele wrote the whole dossier. I think Halper had significant input. But we've never been able to make a direct connection. There are tons of secondary 
and tertiary connections. One of them, which I go into detail in my book, do these FBI handlers that appear to know each other, the handler for Steele and the handler for Halper, they seem to know each other and have worked together. But the direct connection between Halper and Steele has been tough. Understand why it matters. They've told us the whole time that this credible guy who was a British intel guy, Christopher Steele, worked the Russian decks. He wrote that. Therefore, he's credible and we should all believe the PP tape and the PP dossier stuff. But what if a guy who is being paid by taxpayers, who's already cited that he's colluding with Russian intelligence, what if he wrote a lot of it? Trebnikov's the connection. Look at this handwritten note. This is important. I've used this often. Christopher Steele goes in and talks to Kathleen Kavalak of the State Department just 10 days before they write up the FISA warrant. Look at this right here. These are her handwritten notes. Christopher Steele cites as one of his sources. Look at that right there. Trebnikov. Trebnikov, ladies and gentlemen, is Halper's contact. It's not Steele's. Which begs the obvious question, who wrote the damn dossier? Did Halper write significant portions of it or give Steele the information? And Steele just was the one who put it down on paper? That's important because the Democrats have told us the whole time, no, no, the information was credible. This Russia desk guy, Steele wrote it. Ladies and gentlemen, that was not just meant to give it an air of a patina of credibility. It was also meant to block you from seeing what was behind the curtain, which is that you paid for this stuff. Think about it. Steele was paid by Hillary. That's bad enough. But once that came out, the Democrats were willing to take a bath on it. Okay, we paid to have the Trump team spied on vis-a-vis uh, -vis Christopher Steele. Hillary paid. That's really bad. My bad. Uh -uh. Nelson Muntz time. You know what's even worse? If we found out that the reality of the situation was that that information actually came from Halper, who was paid for by you, by taxpayer dollars through the Pentagon. Now we have this connection through Trubnikov. Steele's saying Trubnikov's the source. It's not his source. It's Halper's source. Steele's got to be getting this from Halper. There's no other way. This gets better, this piece by Margot Cleveland. What's fascinating here is the, ON, the guy who runs the ONA, the Office of Net Assessment, this guy, James Baker, he responds to Senator Grassley, who's interested in these contracts. Like, we're paying this guy, Halper, to spy on the trish? Seems awfully weird, man. So Baker writes back that, quote, well, Professor Halper did not disclose any relationship with Trubnikov to any ONA official. To the best of our knowledge, we are not aware of any purported relationship, the letter continued. And therefore, we cannot judge to what impact it may have had on a single written report. Wow, that's fascinating. Because Trubnikov's relationship with Halper was open source information, folks. Halper, who teaches at Cambridge over in the UK, had already invited Trubnikov. They were buddies to teach at their symposium there. This was public information. So you're telling me the Pentagon's Office of Net Assessments is supposedly, supposedly dealing with these high-level spies? Couldn't do a basic internet search? I I'm confused. Somehow you missed this relationship with Trubnikov, despite the fact if you Googled and put in the internet, Trubnikov, Halper, you could have seen that they taught together at Cambridge? That one guest lectured, you came back and forth, you, you missed all you missed all that? The whole internet search thing escapes you? Well, what makes that point 
even more embarrassing for the discredited FBI. Remember the takeaway. You paid for Halper to spy on you. You paid, not just Hillary. You paid, Hillary paid for Steele. Steele's working with Halper, getting his information from a Russian. And Halper is being paid to get this information from this Russian by you, by your tax dollars. Making the matters a thousand times worse is, uh, Joe, what was Mike Flynn investigated for? That's right. Contact with Russians. Yeah. So just to be head scratcher again here, folks. So just to be clear, Mike Flynn, who's investigated for probably close to two years, General Flynn, they find, quote, no derogatory information at all on Flynn to the point they're going to close the case in January before Comey intervenes, is only investigated for secondary and tertiary contacts with Russians that have nothing to do with any breach of national security whatsoever. Yet we have a spy who admits to colluding with a Russian and is paid to do it. And yet that's used as the impetus to investigate Mike Flynn for contacts with Russians that have nothing to do with anything. Oh, let's go to the next takeaway from Margot Cleveland's piece. This is in the show notes from yesterday. Again, please check it out. Bongino.com slash newsletter. The ONA contract awarded to Halper also raised the second issue for Grasley concerning, concerning whether Halper, here we go, here's the money shot, folks, had used any taxpayer money provided by the Department of Defense to recruit or attempt to rec recruit sources for the FBI investigation into the now debunked theory of collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia. Yes. Yes. That, my friends is the question I have been asking on this show for eons. It's not that Hillary paid for the dossier. It's that you did. They're making matters even worse. When someone in the Office of Net Assessments smelled a rat, notably a man by the name of Adam Lovinger, who knew Mike Flynn, thought, are we paying this guy to spy on the Trump team? This seems kind of weird. But what happened to Lovinger? Well, as we can see from this Washington Times article by Rowan Scarborough, it's an older one, but it's still worth your time. 2019. Loose contracting practices at the Pentagon office wasted millions. Whistleblower punished. He was. What was he punished for? Let's check this out. So Stefan Halper, the professor who became an FBI informant to spy on the Trump campaign, failed to document the research he did as a contractor on four Pentagon studies worth a million dollars an investigation found. The DOD Inspector General report exposes these loose contracting practices at ONA. The same kinds of problems reported by analyst Adam Lovinger, who was later accused of mishandling sensitive data, sensitive data and has been suspended without pay. I thought we loved whistleblowers. Apparently not when they blow the whistle on the selective targeting of Trump campaign officials by Stefan Halper, a paid Pentagon and FBI spy. It's also interesting is this guy, James Baker, who headed ONA, is also known to be a friend to David Ignatius of the Washington Post. Yes, yes, the same guy who happened to leak in February the conversation between Mike Flynn and the Russian ambassador Kislyak, which was used as an impetus to, impetus to then prosecute Mike Flynn. I'm sure the relationships there are all just cozy. No worries. Big coincidences all around. All right. I've got a lot more to get to. Loaded show today. But I can't emphasize to you enough what Margot Cleveland's onto there and how important that is. It's not that Steele 
produced the dossier paid for by Hillary. That's bad enough to then spy on Trump. It's that you paid for it. I can't say this enough. That's the scandal I've been hammering home for months, if not a year now. Pick up my book. You'll see the chapter, how they made the connection with the FBI guys too. It's a little long for today. I want to get to NPR and some other stuff. Let me get on time. All right, we're good. All right, let me get to my final sponsor so I can get through the rest of our content because it's a loaded show and there's a lot going on and I feel like we are on the front lines of a very serious fight right now. Seriously, ladies and gentlemen, shields high right now. Everybody's got to be ready for what's coming. All right, our final sponsor today is our friends over at Keeps. Keeps, K-E-E-P-S. We love Keeps. Keep, we haven't, we haven't heard from Keeps. Good that good Keeps is back. You know why we love Keeps? Because, folks, two out of three guys, you know this, will experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time they're 35. No way! Yes way. The best way to prevent hair loss is to do something about it while you still have hair left. Get treated from home. You used to have to go to the doctor's office for your hair loss prescription. No more. Now, thanks to Keeps, you can visit a doctor online and get hair loss medication delivered right to your home. They make it super easy. They deliver your medication every three months. You can say goodbye to pharmacy checkout lines and awkward doctor visits. Awkward. No more. Listen, the only... uh, Keeps offers generic versions of the only two FDA-approved hair loss products out there. You may have tried them before, but probably never for this price. Prevention is key. Keeps treatments can take up to four to six months or more to see results, so it's important to act fast. The sooner you start using Keeps, the more hair you'll save. Keeps treatments start at just $10 a month. Plus, for a limited time, you can get your first month free. What a deal. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash Bongino to receive your first month of treatment for free. That's keeps, K-E-E-P-S dot com slash Bongino, B-O-N-G-I-N-O, my last name, keeps.com, keeps.com, K-E-E-P-S dot com slash Bongino. Check it out. Get that hair. Save it today. Keeps.com slash Bongino. Okay. Now, the media, of course, is enjoying uh, sowing racial animus in the country because it really leads to better bottom lines. The more pieces you can write, um, calling everyone in America you don't agree with a white supremacist, a Nazi, and other things, they don't really care. You know, can I, uh, may I take a point of personal privilege here? I'm sorry. I, I, again, the personal stories sometimes matter. Some of you don't like them, some of you do, but it's important. So last night, getting ready to hit the sack. It had been a long day. I just finished Hannity. I think Paula was brushing her teeth or whatever. And she's like, you know, these people are amazing. What were we actually talking? You remember what we were talking about? It was something about, oh, the protests, how the media, how the media during the protests, the George Floyd protests, didn't care at all about the virus, as if the virus cares about what kind of protest. The virus doesn't care. It's not even alive. It doesn't think, okay? But we were saying how we had predicted that the media would celebrate the George Floyd protests because they think there's a political advantage in it for them. And yet when Trump had a rally, they would attack them saying this is deadly for people who show. And we predicted it and it doesn't matter. Like the media doesn't care. So I was trying to explain to Paula because she was genuinely upset last night that the media is always lying and nobody calls them out. And she's like, I don't get it. Like, are they even embarrassed? And I'm like, no, they're not embarrassed. It was something CNN had done too. She was asking me, honestly, she's like, aren't they like horrified? Oh, oh, I remember you had asked me about the wall. Yes, the wall. The wall. So CNN, which of course did months of pieces on how walls don't work. Remember that, Joe? Walls, border walls, they don't work. That's old technology. So is fire and the wheel and the inclined plane. 
pendulum. Those are all old technologies too, but we still use those. You know, electricity is an old technology too, Joe. Do you know yeah. that? Didn't happen yesterday. Nope. Yep. <laughs> we still use that. Still works pretty good. The whole wheel thing, the wheels on the bus go around. That's old technology. CNN for months, Rampy. Walls is stupid. Walls don't work. Oh, it's old stuff. Old technology. You're all idiots. So CNN built a wall around its headquarters in Atlanta. I'm not kidding. Not a joke. You can check out the pictures on Twitter. So Paula's like, aren't they embarrassed? I'm like, no, they're not embarrassed. I'm sorry. I'm like, I really, I deeply care about you, Miss Paula. But why are you pretending these people have any dignity? They don't care. If on my show, I spent months telling you walls didn't work, I would be then embarrassed to build a wall around my house. Of course, I said walls do work, so I wouldn't be embarrassed at all. But I would. I would be horrified if I had a backtrack. They don't care. They are just outwardly lying. If they're forced to retract or put an editor's note in, they will. But they don't care. Why? Because by the time they write a dumb story and get it out there, it'll travel around the ecosystem of ideas and people will believe it's true. And then when they retract or put an editor's note in days later, nobody will see it. They don't care. They're not embarrassed. These people are enemies of truth. They don't care. We're in like the walking dead right now where you can argue with them all you want. They are attacking the truth. They don't care. You can't fight back with facts. There are no facts that are going to bother them. You think I'm making this up? How genuinely awful these people are? Not only did you pay for this Trump team to be spotted, you paid NPR for this garbage. Look at this tweet. This is a real tweet, by the way. We're not messing with you. From NPR, which your taxpayer dollars finance. At NPR, right-wing extremists are turning cars into weapons with reports of at least 50 vehicle ramming incidents since the protests erupted nationwide in late May. And look at the picture they use. Yeah. Some of you on the YouTube are figuring this out. Where's that picture from? Oh, Charlottesville. Where a lunatic ran over uh, that woman and killed her. Folks, this is gross. This is absolutely gross gross so just to be clear what npr is suggesting they're trying to aggravate racial animus because they profit from it npr and i don't mean profit necessarily bottom line they get eyeballs and their ideology wins the day so they inflame a hostile situation what they're referring to and the original photo they used was a photo in louis uh, louisville where a woman was cornered by violent, raging criminals while in her car, one of them who allegedly had a firearm. In her effort to get away, she hit one of these protesters to save her life. That was the picture they used originally. And when they got busted using that, they put up the picture of Charlottesville to inflame an already hostile situation. You don't believe me? Here's a from NPR.org. This is the headline. These people are lunatics. Vehicle attacks rise as extremists target protesters. Do you believe this? Violent, violent extremist rioters are surrounding people's cars, attacking them, damaging their property as they try to get away to save themselves from assault or potential death. If they happen to hit a protester, the absolute lunatic maniacs at NPR are describing you as the violent extremist. 
What's their evidence? That these are extremists in the cars trying to save their lives? Their evidence is that there are 50 plus incidents of, of people trying to escape violent rioters. So, Joe, if there were 50 incidents, mm-hmm. they were all white supremacists, I would guess, right? That, That's NPR's premise, yeah, right? probably, yeah. Violent, jo- yeah. Joe, violent yeah. right-wing extremists yeah. are running people over. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm afraid well, so. Well, yeah. it's interesting. When you dig into uh-huh. the article, you find out, I have an article about the Federalist about this. If you actually dig into the data, that in 32 of those 50 incidents, the driver wasn't even charged. Huh? Well, why wouldn't the driver be charged? Maybe because they were being attacked by lunatics. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. What we also find out is of these 50 incidents, again, we're 32 where no one was even charged because they were trying to get away from people attacking them. But NPR tells the story. They're not embarrassed by telling you the story backwards at all, by the way. I don't expect this to change NPR even one bit. Out of those 50, clearly, what, 48 of them were radical white supremacists? There was one incident where this individual had a connection to some what they call extremist group. One. So remember, Joe, there is a mass outbreak of violent white supremacists running down people in America, mm-hmm. of which they can document one, 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 one incident. Oh, they're forty nine short, man. You know, but of course, jeez. I mean, what do you know? What do you, what well you said, know? Joe. What do you know? They're 49, sure. They don't even have a majority. They don't have a plurality. They don't have no. anything. They have one. But again, NPR. So let, what NPR wants you to do, just to be clear, is if you are attacked by violent criminal rioters who attempt to pull you and your kids out of your car, damage or destroy your property, just sit there and take it, according to NPR. Don't you worry whatsoever. Speaking of media, complete lunatics. So, you know, you ever heard of this 1619 project? If you haven't, good for you because it's a total hoax. Um, It's one of these New York Times led projects. Um, And a woman who's uh, been involved in it, her name is Hannah Jones. Um, They write for this project and it's basically America's horrible. uh, You all stink. Uh, It's a terrible country and you all suck. That's the 1619, which is no surprise. It comes from the New York Times. But one of the people pushing the 1619 Project and involved with it, there's an article by Legal Insurrection, be up in the show notes. It's interesting on Twitter, got caught pushing a absolutely insane conspiracy theory on Twitter. Did you hear this story? Legal Insurrection, 1619 Project lead writer pushes conspiracy theory about fireworks in New York. Get a load of this. This is not a joke. This is the, the New York Times and their history project, 1619, one of their lead writers saying the government handed out fireworks to minority communities. You know, there's fireworks been going off in the street in some of these liberal cities. To get the minority community used to the sound of firecrackers and other fireworks so that when they start using the real artillery on the minority community, they won't know the difference. Sorry, a little bit of allergies today. Ah... This is like these are this. This is your history project lead writer that the government in minority communities is giving out fireworks 
to minorities, to have them shoot them off. So when the government attacks them with the real artillery, they will be deconditioned to the response. I, I don't even, I, 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 that's so dumb that even in today's environment where, you know, any, I mean, any conspiracy theory from the left really, you know, like mass white supremacist vehicle attacks are going on all over the United States where you'll say anything, even that one, how is the New York Times not fired the woman who put this out there for just really over sheer embarrassment alone? Can I ask you one question too on this? Just kind of common sense. How, how, I can't believe we're even entertaining this stupidity. If the government was planning to roll artillery into minority communities to shell like the Bronx or East New York, Brooklyn, where I worked as a police officer, you think someone might notice that? I'm just checking. Joe, you know, howitzers and stuff. You think that might elicit a little media response? Maybe they're, hey guys, there's some howitzers on the Bell Parkway yeah. looking out towards Starrett City. That's strange. Yeah, peak your interest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. a little bit, yeah, right? Yeah. A little bit, mm -hmm. maybe. Um, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just asking. Mortars and stuff, they're trying to, you may be like scratching your, this was really put out there by a woman involved with a history project with the New York Times. One that, by the way, some schools want to teach in schools. That the government is preparing to shell people with artillery. <sighs> in minority communities. Two-pager today. Two-pager. We're actually getting the second page. Paula didn't think we were going to get there. Did you even load these images? Because you didn't think it, did you? You didn't? You know, you didn't think I was getting there. I know you didn't. All right. Daily Mail showing you again the insanity we're living in today. Daily Mail article out there. I'm going to put this one, Joe. Keep that headline up if you don't mind. Under the headline, why destroying, burning down, looting, and rampaging your own neighborhood is probably not a good idea. Okay. All right. Paula sent this one to me yesterday. She doesn't do this often, but yeah, I'm just, just saying. I mean, uh, you know, call me crazy, Joe. I know logic and reason went out the window a long time ago. But being that you probably shop and do dry cleaning, um, buy your food in your own neighborhood, why you would burn those stores to the ground seems kind of self-defeating. But what do I know? Again, I'm just a stupid former cop and federal agent. I don't know anything. What does Joe know? He's an audio engineer. <laughs> Morons we are. Yeah. Burn our own food stores. So the Daily Mail is this interesting piece. It'll be up in the show notes. So, you know, Valentino, it's a high-end, I think, uh, clothing producer. I don't, I don't know. I don't shop there, but whatevs. Valentino sues to terminate its lease on Manhattan's Fifth Avenue because it's no longer a luxury destination, quote, after the coronavirus lockdown and stores were boarded up during looting. Just throwing this out there as a cautionary tale, folks. Maybe not a good idea to burn your own neighborhoods down. I'm just saying. Neighborhoods, food, clothing, that kind of stuff. Just throwing that out there. By the way, in that story, if you read it, they're not the only ones. Was it J. Crew and others that are looking to basically evacuate Fifth Avenue in Manhattan? <sighs> More fake news. So, you know, the Southern District of New York, the uh, United States Attorney up there, Jeff Berman, who was fired by President Trump over the weekend, which he's allowed to do, by the way. 
He is still the president of the United States. Just so you understand how this works. You know how in your local town or city, you have a DA, a district attorney, and the district attorney have uh, assistant district attorneys, ADAs that work for them. They prosecute all the crimes. Police officers and federal agents don't prosecute anything. They arrest and investigate. We don't prosecute anyone. That's done by attorneys for the government. I, I'm, forgive me. I, I'm not saying this in any kind of condescending fashion, but some people you know, may not know how the government system works. When I was a cop, you'd go to an ADA, assistant district attorney, and they would prosecute the case for you. As a federal agent, we would go to AUSAs. If you ever hear that term, AUSA, it stands for Assistant United States Attorney. They all work for either a DA or a United States attorney for every specific area. When I was a federal agent in New York, there were two areas we would go to. If we made an arrest in Manhattan, it would go to the Southern District of New York. If we made an arrest on Long Island or Brooklyn, it went to the Eastern District of New York, EDNY. The Southern District of New York has always had a reputation for doing their own thing. It was once led by the great Rudy Giuliani, by the way. It has since gone far left, many of them. It's now being led by Jeffrey Berman. Jeffrey Berman was fired this weekend by President Trump, totally within his authority. And all kinds of conspiracy theories are abound that, my gosh, he must have been looking into the Trump team, which is nonsense. Uh, not that he was looking into the Trump team or Trump associates. He may very well have been. There evidence, there's a lot of evidence that he is. Those investigations will not stop no matter what President Trump does. So that's a false hoax story. But John Solomon has a great piece up in the show notes that Jeffrey Berman may not be the shining white knight everybody thinks he is. Here to save the day, another victim of President Trump's awful conspiracies. Check this out, justthenews.com. Fired New York prosecutor was given the Biden Ukraine allegations in 2018, but didn't follow up. Email show, John Solomon, June 22nd, 2020. Really? Interesting little note from the piece about Jeff Berman, who seems to care more about President Trump and Rudy Giuliani and investigating what kind of uh, bathrobes they wear at night than actually doing the real work of looking in to what uh, to what Joe Biden did. So here's Jeff Berman from uh, John Solomon's piece. In addition, Burisma, you know, the company Hunter Biden worked for, Joe Biden's kid, their U.S. representatives were lobbying the State Department in Washington and the U.S. Embassy in, in uh, Kiev seeking to make corruption allegations go away. State memos released under FOIA law show. They talk about these allegations here that were sent to, to Berman that not only was uh, Litsenko, the prosecutor, fired, but that there were other people, Marie Ivanovich, Biden, and John Kerry, who were already drawing conclusions about who the bad guys and the good guys was uh, were in an email written to Berman himself who made this all go away. So let me sum this up for you to make it simple to understand. It was right at the end of the show. So a lawyer wrote to Jeffrey Berman, who was a former United States attorney himself, wrote to Berman, the guy who was fired, and said, hey, listen, we got serious allegations coming from Ukraine that the Black Ledger used to prosecute Paul Manafort was, in fact, false. It's not, it's a hoax. And that pressure was being applied by U.S. officials over here to determine who the good guys and bad guys were without an investigation. And also, Burisma and this investigation into the uh, to Hunter Biden's kids' company to make that go away. And what did Berman do? Here's what Berman did. Hands under caboose, sat on him and did absolutely nothing. Did that factor into his dismissal? I don't know. But maybe people should start asking Jeff Berman those kinds of questions, which they won't because they're media people and they don't care. <sighs> Frustrating. 
All right, let me get to my final story of the day. I warned you. I hoped again, like when we opened the show, that what, I predict, what I'm predicting about the 2020 election, I hope it's not true. But I warned you also about the de-policing in neighborhoods. I got an email from a friend. I'm not going to say who, obviously, but an email from a friend yesterday asking me, damn, what's really going on in these communities that are seeing murder rates and crime rates skyrocket through the roof? You can see this article at Red State. It'll be up uh, at the show notes as well. Check it out. Murder rates skyrocket as police are pulled back. The numbers are stunning. What's happening, ladies and gentlemen? Listen, I'm just going to give you the scoop in the inside baseball. Whether you agree or disagree with it is entirely up to you. The facts matter, though. What I'm hearing from my police officer friends on the ground, a couple of things. The criminals in the street carrying guns know they'll no longer be frisked. In other words, let's say you had a public nuisance complaint or something, some drinking in the street, drinking in public. Again, I'm not going to get into whether you agree this stuff should be criminal or not. It's not I'm trying to explain to you why crime rates, there's an actual reason they're going up. In the past, the way it would work, under aggressive policing, and aggressive I mean under broken windows. I don't mean aggressive physically, but active policing of neighborhoods. You'd get a call if you're on a foot post. They'd say, hey, listen, there's a couple of guys on my corner drinking in public. One looks drunk. He's peeing in the street, whatever it may be. You know, 911, can you come out here and send someone? It's, you know, it's two o'clock in the morning. You'd go out there, and if you were on the scene and you were talking to someone for ID, you were allowed to engage in a pat down, not a full frip, but a, a pat down, a lungeable kind of grabbable area so you don't get shot. Well, what would happen on those 911 calls often? Well, what would happen is you would find the firearm. Well, ladies and gentlemen, criminals aren't stupid. They're not. They figure that out. So when they were hanging out on the corner and they were drinking or doing their thing late at night, harassing people walking by, what would they do with the gun? They'd put in a paper bag. They'd drop the paper bag on the floor somewhere. Well, why would you do that? Well, in case they got another rival gang or whatever it is, a drug gang came up and tried to attack them, they can go grab the paper bag. But if they got what we would call tossed, frisked, whatever it was, they have tons of different words, frisked, pat down, whatever it may be, you wouldn't find anything. And they would say, if you did happen to kick the bag and see the gun, it's, that's not mine. I don't know how that got there. There's no way to pin it on them. You didn't know that? Well, you know, most people, most of the commentators on TV who are never cops and pretend to know everything about policing don't know that either because they never spent a day in the streets. I was there. I saw it. And smart cops knew to search around the area, not just the bad guy. Because listen, if it's abandoned property, the gun, then it's ours. We're going to take it. We're going to voucher it. And we got a gun off the street. May not be able to arrest you for it, but it's off the street that night. Illegal guns, of course. And even if it is legal, you're not going to leave it on the street in a paper bag. You may say, well, what does that have to do with what's going on now? None of that's happening. None of it. If they're not called specifically to a 911 call, they are not responding. They are not responding on any voluntary basis. If they're called to pull over a vehicle, they pull them over, look at the license, have a nice day. They're not asking people to come out. They're not engaging in these pat-downs. Matter of fact, if they have to respond to one of these calls, this is all, I'm just telling you what I'm hearing. They're driving up. Hey, guys, you're hanging out in a corner drinking. They're usually like, the criminals are usually like, hey, screw you, whatever. They're like, okay, have a good day. What happens an hour later? Guy gets in a beef, shoots the dude next to him, whatever. There's a reason this is happening. The murder rate in New York City is up 358% from the same week last year. 
You think it's just a statistical anomaly? Or as Juan told me yesterday on the five of the summer and it's just heating up? What kind of animalistic interpretation is that? Like we're all a bunch of like savages. It gets hot. We're all killing each other. That's not what happens. That's not at all what happens. That's an old wives tale. Like hot weather encourages people to act like animals. No, that's not what's happening at all. Criminals respond to incentives. When they thought they'd get patted down in the street because they were causing a public nuisance or whatever it may be, they wouldn't carry their guns. When they know they won't be patted down, they carry their guns. It's as simple as that. Of course, you're not going to hear that from commentators on TV because most of them, whenever cops have no idea what they're talking about. Just saying, folks. Whether you think any of that's right or wrong, it's entirely up to you, but those are the facts. All right, thanks again for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Again, uh, please pick up my books available for pre-order now. It's called Follow the Money. I really appreciate it. We put a lot of work into it. And I think the chapter, there's also a chapter on Biden and uh, the, the fake well, whistleblower that uh, is going to make a connection you haven't heard before either. But the chapter on how Halper and Steele's connected are pretty, it's pretty interesting. The Steve Soma chapter. You're going to love that. Name check. I haven't heard that name. Read the book. You'll get it. Follow the money available now for pre-order. Thanks a lot for picking it up. I really appreciate it. All right, folks, I will talk to you all tomorrow. You just heard Dan Bongino.